You're listening to the Imaginally True Change podcast with Prashant Goel. Each week we speak with courageous people contributing to a better world. Each one's personal triumphs and challenges lead us to reflect on a fulfilling professional life. Our guests inspire us to overcome fear and resistance and to walk our own path of Dharma, that is, our higher purpose. Hi, this is Prashant Kowell here with the Imaginally True Change podcast. My guest today is Eric Klein. Eric Klein is a Dharma artist, meditation teacher, best-selling leadership author, and ordained lineage holder of the Kriya Yoga tradition. And over the past 40 years, he's worked with 30,000 people in a wide variety of settings, meditation retreats, leadership trainings, keynotes for Fortune 500, public agencies, healthcare, and as well as his platform, wisdomheart.com, where he offers online programs including The Meditation Habit, Healing Family Karma, Overcoming Inner Obstacles, Mantra Wave Meditation, and What's Calling You. He is the author of You Are the Leader You've Been Waiting For, which was a Nautilus Award winner in Conscious Business and Leadership category, and Awakening Corporate Soul with over 200,000 copies sold, and the creator of The Mindful Team, a program for organizations integrating mindfulness into corporate culture. Organizational clients include AT&T, Hewlett-Packard, Southern California Edison, NCR Corporation, Qualcomm, Corporate Sciences Corporation, Internal Revenue Service, Department of Navy, IBM, Kaiser Permanente, Semper Energy, and many others. So from that bio, we can see that Eric's been busy. He's been um, making an important, beautiful message about human nature widely accessible in a wide range of contexts. And, uh, and that's exactly what drew me to his work is, uh, is that he has that uh, great authenticity of a steady spiritual practice himself. He's been connected to Kriya Yoga for over 45 years, I think. And that he's also working um, in the world in such a positive way to help bring learning and growth and healing to a wide variety of people. So I'm excited to have you as my guest today, Eric. Welcome. Any initial comments? Well, thank you. Yes. Thank you for having me. I'm really pleased to be here and looking forward to exploring with you. Yeah. So, I mean, what a wonderful story that, that your life represents, you know, that you've gone so deep into spiritual study and at the same time being active in the world, sharing the message that you've received and that you've gone deep into your own study of. And maybe you can just tell us a little bit about what motivates you and, and where you are in your day-to-day life these days. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, What's motivating me these days is to, um, is, to, is to find folks who really want to take their practice to a deeper level. Mm-hmm. And that means two things to me. It means both uh, sort of on the cushion, so to speak, you know, the formal dimension of practice mm-hmm. um, and to support people in cultivating a deeper communion with the stillness and the presence and the radiance that's available within and also at the same time it's always been important to me and it's been one of the things that attracted me to this lineage is that it's about how do we take it our meditation out not just go into meditation but come out of meditation and um, really become agents of awakening that's the in our, in our own spheres, whether it's in the family, in the workspace, or you know, in the, sort of the public community. We each have our own situation. And it seems to me it's become more and more acutely important for each of us to embody that awakening 
like in our uniqueness, in our unique situations. Mm. That's what's inspiring me. And I think the web is the, uh, is this amazing possibility to what you're doing is to have this larger, have this conversation, you know, in a global way. Mm. And what do I do in the day? My life is a bit is, you know, I'm not traveling as much as I used to, and I'm happy about that. So it's a quieter life, a lot of writing, creating and cultivating this kind of um, online community. Mm. Wow. Yeah, it seems to me that uh, the moment we're living in the world is asking this of us to take our understandings and share them with others and bring the best of ourselves forward and make a positive contribution. And, and, and it seems like you're really doing that. It's interesting to me to hear you say that you're, what's motivating right now is helping people who are coming from a mindset of awakening to go deeper, to help them take the next steps, to help them realize uh, deeper fulfillment, overcoming whatever the current challenges are. And at the same time, you're able to, uh, to access a, a business audience, which to some, of that, to some of that audience, maybe it's a little bit more difficult for them to relate. And I'm curious how you bridge that divide and how that, how that works for you. Yeah. Sure. Well, I think we have to meet people. Everyone, if we're in this role of um, being an agent of awakening, I'm immediately thinking of a, a phrase Ram Dass used to use, the, great, you know, the American um, sort of pioneer in bringing Eastern teachings uh, to the Western world. He would say that um, after a retreat, don't go back and talk about Buddhism. Mm. Go back and be a Buddha. You know, so it's not about like knowing. It's not about knowing any content. It's not even about like having uh, memories of your experiences in meditation that you can talk about, sort of like sharing your pictures from your vacation. <laughs> it's really, it's really about uh, embodying those qualities of loving awareness, those qualities of acceptance, and those qualities of uh, appreciation. And so that's the beginning for me in terms of interacting with a, an audience or an individual in a corporate space is to be able to, first of all, recognize our common humanity. Now, I may have had a, I've had a different life history than they have, and I've, I've developed you know, my own area of expertise in terms of these meditative uh, disciplines. Well, they have other expertise that I don't have at all. In fact, I was meeting with a senior executive this morning who was talking to me about how he reads these contracts and pours over these contracts now and, it's, and how that work discipline has just translated into him checking out a home he was buying and discovering that they had misrepresented the square footage and saving him a couple of hundred thousand dollars on this very expensive home. I was thinking, I would never, I'd never read the contract. It's just not something I would do. <laughs> so I admire, you know, that capacity. I don't actually want to develop that capacity, but I can say I come from my history. They come from their history. We have a common humanity and the common humanity that is most important, I think is this uh, deep, wish that we each have to, to bring our whole self into this moment, to be truly present in this moment. Now that's been, what that means to each of us has been heavily conditioned by our culture, by our family, by our, uh, by our education, you know, by our work environments. So many of the people, if I meet, when I meet them in a corporate setting, their, uh, their initial understanding of what it means to show up fully has been, is uh, layered with inherited values. 
Does that make sense to you? It's layered with inherited yes. stories. And that part of what uh, my purpose in being there, and I think the, sometimes the overt, but certainly the implicit invitation for, for me being there is to invite them to say, we all have these stories. We all have these ideas of what it means to be successful, what it means to be effective, what it means to be impactful. Well, let's take a moment to really go a bit deeper and, and reflect for ourselves. What is, what is true success? That would be a language, that would be a symbol that uh, an organization would understand. What does success really mean to you as, a, as an individual here in this room? What is it that that truly means? And when I've explored that with people all over the world, very rapidly, people shed the, um, the masks, they shed the, the coverings, and they shed the uh, inherited language. And they talk about the same things that humans, they talk about connection, they talk about contribution, they talk about uh, creativity, you know, they talk about these kinds of things, because that's what we, that's why we came here into this world, really. That's why, so we're, we're all here on the same, uh, you know, it's the same curriculum, but sometimes the teacher, the, you know, the teachers we've gotten in our conditioning haven't, they were also conditioned, you know, <laughs> so they're passing on inherited stories as well. And, but the deeper story, the deeper longing, I think the deeper sense of calling is relatively easy to access. Now, the hard thing is to stay connected to it, to remember it. Yeah, so in a conversation with an audience or with an individual, it's relatively easy with facilitation to find that place. But the reason I'm committed to formal meditation practice for people is that you're not gonna have Eric or Prashant or somebody around you all the time going, Remember what you said is most important to you. <laughs> so how do, how do we cultivate that connection, stabilize and uh, sustain that connection? There's not anyone listening here who hasn't had a moment of deep fulfillment, a sense of complete peace or uh, a sense of openness that was really, even if it happened with a beloved or it happened in a beautiful environment, you knew at that moment, those weren't the causes of that, but rather they were, they were aids that opened you up to something essential and true, okay? Mm. We've all had the moment of peace, in other words. We've all had the moment, I would call it the moment of meditation because it's a natural state. But sustaining that, that's the, that's the challenge, if you will, that's, and that's the, the discipline. Mm. Wow. So, yeah. So this emphasis on what you're embodying, how you're showing up as being something that really helps you to build a bridge with others and, and this awareness of the deeper human level that we're all, all connected to uh, is another another point that just readily hits home with me. You know, you're talking about also what gets in the way of being able to sustain mm -hmm. that and these inherited stories and values and that there's many layers of that. And for somebody who's been such a dedicated practitioner for so many years, what is your response to some of the some of what is commonly dismissed as, <laughs> as like new agey spirituality or pop psychology, positive thinking, these types of approaches. What, what is your response to that? Okay. I, I'd say it like this. I think you can look at the history of spirituality. You can look at the wisdom traditions and, one of the things that's clear, whether we're looking at the Buddha or the sages who taught the Upanishads or Jesus or the rabbis, doesn't matter where you look. 
one of the things that becomes clear is that the culture they were embedded in uh, was seeking fulfillment in ways that were uh, symbolic, not direct. Mm. So the sages in any system, in any time in history, okay, they would always be, they, would, they, they were critical, if you will, of the conventional search for salvation, enlightenment, fulfillment, whatever it was. So this isn't unique to our time. That's why, that's why I say that, that the, the desire to hack the system, if that's our not modern language, but they were having their own way of doing it thousands <laughs> of years ago. Right. Their desire to have a, sh to shortcut the program, you mm -hmm. know, whether it was through paying the church or in India, through paying the pujari to do a ritual, it didn't matter, whatever culture it's in. That practice of trying to uh, bypass our own journey, that's been happening for thousands of years, okay? okay. And wow. so, in a, in a sense, you could say the new age, you know, in the critical frame, the new age is just a current version of trying to look for a way to, uh, I like to say it, you know, to wait at the curb and have the you know enlightenment limo pull up while you're taking a selfie of yourself <laughs> stepping into the enlightenment limo and you get to watch yourself go to enlightenment you know now that that that's a metaphor that wouldn't have tra translated 700 even 300 years ago but the impulse right to be able to uh, to be able to witness my own you know exaltation <laughs> that's been all that's been that's that's a part of the human condition again okay. and so so if we're trying to bypass the journey you know if we don't want to if we're trying to shortcut it or as a popular the very popular these days is to use mindfulness as a hack you know to mm -hmm. kind of like cut through um it will accelerate your practice. It will accelerate your journey. Doing the practices will accelerate your journey. And all that means is you'll be encountering those layers more and more deeply, more and more rapidly. It won't take you around them. Right. There's, no, there's no skipping steps. Yeah. There's only the building the capacity to uh, integrate what you meet more and more, uh, with more and more facility. Does that yeah. mean, yeah? So, yes. So, so it's like, it's like in any other, it's like, um, it's like in sports, what comes to mind, you know, if you've practiced tennis a long time, you can go up against someone who can serve really fast serves and is really intense, but you've built the capacity to meet that. Okay. Right. You cannot, you cannot short, that's a journey of development right. and that's a capacity that that person has developed. And in the same way through our own uh, through meditation practice, we do accelerate the journey of awakening, but we don't bypass any of the steps. That's the thing. I hope that's clear. So the criticism of the new age would be the critic any any methodology that promises that it will uh, alleviate you from doing any of the the lifting of your own karma, of your own incompleteness, of your own uh, imbalances, uh, I will take a big grain of salt. <laughs> you know, it's funny because, um, you know, just yesterday, a friend had sent me an article that was uh, 20 minutes to eradicate negative thinking, you know, like an exercise. Sure. And it's just great to hear your, your experience weigh in on this phenomenon. And uh, because I kind of, sometimes I say life is a lifelong project, you know, and, and everything that we built up in our minds and all these ideas yeah. and whatever, it's, you know, it's going to take at least the second half of our lives to unwind that layer by layer, you know. So your, your insight about this is really precious to me um yeah so, and and the thing is it's true the ins it's hap it happens again that moment of complete integration no that moment of complete communion mm -hmm. 
is different from the moment of complete integration. So oh. the communion can happen in a blink of an eye. When conditions are right, that opening and that communion can be there. But integrating that is the work of a lifetime. Right. It, in, embodying that fully is the work of a lifetime. And so I'll go, yeah, 20 minutes, two seconds. If the conditions are right, you know, if the, that's the critical factor. And the conditions aren't just your external conditions. You know, all of the conditions in your neuroscience, in your chemistry, in your emotional body, if all those conditions are right, in the sense meaning they're all relatively balanced, then there will be that sense, that, that communion with the goodness that is ever present. Wow. Now, how do I... Again, it's coming out of the meditation. In other words, it's the integration of that. And in Wisdom Heart, we have this expression, which is we proceed at the pace of integration. That's the pace. However you can integrate it, that's the pace. And there's no, like, award for going faster. You know, nobody's, nobody's giving out medals. It's just your pace of integration. Right. Yeah, no, no cookies or brownies for the steps taken. No. Yeah. It's, so back, you know, I'm, I'm curious to turn back a little bit to your personal story, Eric, uh, sure. which is you've come back and rather than be a Buddhist, you be the Buddha, uh, you know, to use the language roughly. Yeah. Um, was there some point when you were facing your own conditioning earlier on where you felt you were still more on the level of content rather than the level of embodiment. Yeah. And how did you navigate sure. that? What were some of the challenges in that? Mm. Yeah. Okay. This is, yeah. First, I just want to say that that moment keeps arising as we see <laughs> it. Okay. I want okay. to say that. But a story that comes to mind is the first thing that flashed into my mind is a time when my guru, my teacher was visiting us here and um, I was taking a walk with him. And he looked at me, paused, and he looked at me, he said, you've been trying, I've known you for decades, you've been trying to let go of this thing that you've been, you've been wrestling with this thing and trying to let go of this thing. And you know what? You just need to do it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, I knew, at, and this was a symbol. It had to do with my career, and it had to do with writing a book. Now, here's the point. I had been wanting to write a book for so long because a book writing a book symbolized to me um, kind of authenticity authority it symbolized to me books were I worship at the altar of books mm -hmm. if you could write a book it meant you were wise it meant you had arrived it meant you were validated okay right. and you know this is not uncommon, mm -hmm. especially in the world of speakers and consultants and coaches. And, you know, mm -hmm. if you say, how many of you want to write a book? You know, all the hands would go up. But the thing is, so I just had this thing, ah, and I was struggling with, uh, I'll call it inherited spiritual ideas, like I should just let go of it. Mm -hmm. And my teacher said, you know what? You're fooling yourself. You've been playing the game of letting go with it. You just need to go do it. Mm -hmm. Go through it. Right. So I took, I sat down and, it, you know, I wrote this book. I mean, it didn't happen that day. I wrote a book <laughs> over, a, over a year and it took a year. I wrote this book. Now, it was an insane struggle, truly. I, I, we have a little writing studio in the back. I used to go out into that writing studio early in the morning. I was refreshed. I would sit in front of my computer. And as I started to write, I would feel all of this, this anxiety coming. And I would literally fall asleep and fall over, sometimes onto the floor. The emotion of facing, of entering into that experience would sometimes quite literally knock me unconscious, okay? <laughs> and I finally made it. My commitment was, I was, I don't care. I'm going to stay even if I fall off the chair, I'm going to get back on the chair. I'm just going to stay in the room. Even if I fall asleep in the chair, I'm staying here until 
this is resolved. I don't know what to do other than sit here. And it took, that commitment helped accelerate. See, that was like, I'm going to face it. So it took about a week and I started being able to stay conscious <laughs> in front of my, my computer. Now I wrote, I wrote the book. Okay. I wrote the book and you know, we did well with this book, but here's what I learned about it. And this is, this was a shift. This was an integration. Mm. When you write a book, you are now not what I thought. I was not what I thought. You'd, and this, you, we rarely arrive at our fantasy of fulfillment. Mm. Okay. I didn't become a wise person. I wrote a book and I became a person who wrote a book. That's mm. it. That's yeah. what I was after I wrote a book. Okay. <laughs> so that's an example. And that was a liberation. It mm. doesn't sound like a big, it's just coming down and here I am. I no longer was oppressed by the, the, the um, symbol of becoming a wise person through writing a book. Writing a book is just like, now I know how to do it. You're a person who writes a book. Wow. I can now go come back to the path of attuning to wisdom for truth, for real, because it's a value of mine. Yeah, but I was holding it symbolically, saying yeah. if I write a book, then I'll have that. Oh, and in our, my guru's guru used to call it symbolic fulfillment, mm -hmm. that we are seeking... So we think success, you know, the classic in America and all over the world now is, you know, the car, the house, you know, the, the, if I have these things, these contents, it will equal the experience that I'm seeking, whether it's love or wisdom or the embodiment of peace, whatever. Nothing wrong with the car, nothing wrong with writing the book, nothing wrong with any of that. Mm. When you get the car, you know what? You're the person who has a car. That's it. You know, yeah, right. now you can come back and examine, ah, I thought, does wisdom important to me? Yes, wisdom is still important to me. But now I can come closer to it in a real way and not try to symbolically fulfill it, but truly right. pursue it in a deeper and more authentic way. I hope that story communicates. Oh, it was wonderful. And, and I feel part of the story is saying, take these symbols for what they're worth and that also in the challenge of realization there was something tangible that came out of it the different aspects of Absolutely. yourself you had to face and and yes. how precious that was the the journey along the way was bringing a lot beautiful yeah it's I unfolded gifts that were dormant within me mm -hmm. and showed me fears that i had you know were trying to hold at bay, all mm. of those things come up. And then, and they do, you know, so at one level, you're just a person who wrote a book, but you're the person who went through that journey of writing a book, okay? And now you're, and I can say Eric is, you know, Eric is more completely himself. He's a more complete uh, vessel for the gifts that he's here to share through that. Right. But he doesn't get you know, a pass to the special room where the enlightened people live, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no VIP treatment. Yeah. It's, it's amazing because um, it helps us put in perspective what those symbols actually are, you know. And yeah. if we think the symbol in of itself is going to be uh, equivalent to our fulfillment, we're we're barking up the yeah. wrong tree kind of. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, not, and again, yes, we're not denying the value of things and relationships and all this, just being clear on our motivation, you know, in a sense. Yeah. And, and it's back to the idea of like, if we're using uh, attainments of any kind as a way of um, either bypassing uh, and avoiding facing our incompleteness, then you know, we're just, our incompleteness will, will stay with us when we get those things. Right. And so at some point we have to turn around and face that. Mm. You know, Eric, what's interesting for me is, uh, is so I also am connected to a uh, longstanding lineage of India and I have a guru myself, uh, a spiritual master. And one of my challenges, you know, it's an internal challenge, which I project outward, uh -huh. uh, is 
is the relationship that the prevailing culture has towards gurus and yeah. and which which puts me in touch with my own shame actually you know and yeah that's beautiful and 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 i'm you know i'm 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 aware of it i'm watching it i'm working with it but it's there you know and you are coming from a place back you know initial counter with your guru in the 70s where the world yeah. was even a much less open minded place than it is today and i'm wondering yeah. what was your journey with that yeah, beautiful. Okay. For me, um, so I was, I was in high school, you know, and, and I took a, uh, and this is back, people will know this is way back because there was two listings for yoga in the New York City uh, yellow <laughs> pages. Okay, that means instead of two yoga centers on every street, there was only two yoga centers in New York City at that time. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, before the internet. So, first of all, I, I, I went, I called up, you know, and only one of them answered the phone. So, I went to the one. It was, it was founded by Swami Satchidananda of and he had this organization called Integral Yoga. Mm -hmm. And it was on the, uh, I think it was on like 84th Street and West End Avenue, something like that. And um, in an apartment, I went and I took this yoga class. And we did Shavasana, you know, the, the relaxation at the end. And then they brought us out to sit up. And I went into a, just my whole being just opened up. I went into a, the natural state. I opened my my mind. Opened conditions were right. I it opened completely up, and I was just like, "This is, this is it. Wow. This is it." Yeah. In the dressing room afterwards, there was a gentleman who seemed old to me because I was all of you know just turning seventeen, and he um, he probably was in his thirties, but I thought he was really old, and I was saying to him, "Do you realize?" what this is. I was so excited. You know, I, do you realize what this means? What this is all about? This is on, do you understand this? You know, and he was like, calm down, calm down. He was trying to kind of, so I knew at that moment I wanted to find a teacher. I really, I want to find a teacher. So I went to, to uh, I was going to the integral yoga institute and I, before class, I would sit on this couch outside and I read Ram Dass's be here now was in his initial form and uh, he was talking about it. he found his guru so I, I, now i know i have to mm. i'm going to give you a couple of, this is i think this is symbolically valuable for people so i was sitting there one day and all these students and some of the senior students and teachers were ex buzzing excitedly and they said there's a perfect master who's come no. to new york perfect master and people are receiving this knowledge and they're awakening. And, and I was like, what? I really piqued my interest, okay? Mm. Now, they said, we called up Swamiji. They called up Swami Satchananda and said, is he a perfect master? Mm. And Swamiji, the wise one said, if you see him as a perfect master, he is. Mm. Now these, this was, they hung up and went, that means he is. They didn't hear what he said, okay? <laughs> This was a very naive period of history. <laughs> he, was, he gave him a very subtle teaching, right? Yeah. And they hung up the phone going, that means he is. And so they said, we're going after, we're going to go down to the village because someone has given him a brownstone there to teach from. All right. And I said, like, can I come? Yes. And uh, this group went down. They picked up, I don't know, Peter Max was this famous artist and he, from that era and he had this big car and we drove down and it was a room filled with people. They had stripped the whole brownstone empty and it was just packed wall to wall with people chanting and periodically a uh, sort of advanced teacher of the master would come out and he would look and say, the master says you're not earnest enough and everyone would redouble their efforts, redouble their efforts. Okay. And it went on. I was there till like one in the morning and I went home. My mother was, where were you? Oh, the perfect master. What? Anyway, I'd wake up in the morning and I went back the next day. Day after day, I was spending 12 or more 
sometimes 15 hours there because they would handpick people. They would say, you come in the back, you come in the back. And people would go in the back, get initiated, and then they would come out and they would give these. St- I remember a woman came out. She's like, I just received this. I seen God. Like she spoke from this conversion space, if you will. All right. Mm-hmm. I thought, wow. Okay. I got to get this. I, I was chanting. I was being as sincere as I could. And finally, someone tapped me on the head. Ah, I went in back. He went down to this room, and it was not with the master, but with one of the senior people. And they, tr- they said, now you're going to receive the teaching. They taught me a technique. And I thought, this technique is in every yoga book I've ever seen. <laughs> okay. And they said, you can know- no one can know this technique. When you practice, you have to put a sheet over your head so no one can see it. And I thought, okay. All right. I went home. This is after days of barely sleeping. So this is like the Marines. They break you down, okay? <laughs> I went back to my apartment with my family, and in the morning I woke up the next day, and I sat down on the floor where I always did my yoga, and I took the sheet, and I put it over my head, and I started doing the practice, and I thought, pardon my language, this is bullshit. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I took off the sheet. and I, So this is a turning point. It was like, if I'm going to find a re- teacher... I'm going to find a path. It can't be cloaked in false secrecy. Mm. It, can't, it can't be cloaked in false secrecy. And what I know now is you can teach anything. It's all secret unless someone can hear it anyway. So you don't have to hide anything because nobody's paying that much attention. Okay. <laughs> now, so I, went, I moved to Colorado and uh, was practicing with a group of people the day I arrived there, I met a group of people who were practicing Kriya Yoga, and I found them to be grounded and real. And their teacher was Goswami Kriyananda, who becomes my guru. He lived in Chicago. Mm-hmm. I went and I met, I went and I took a road trip to, to, uh, to meet Kriyananda. And I went to his office, and he looked at me in the eye. He said, You're spaced out. <laughs> You need to go and earn the soybean bacon. <laughs> that was symbolically, he said to me, you need to get your feet on the ground and learn how to live in the world. Wow. Yeah. Because until you do that, you're not going to really be able to truly integrate this meditation. All right. And I thought, all right, this is real. This is like grounded real. All right. For me, that was an important, for me, that was an important element. This direct uh, contact, you know, this, this, this uh, heart-to-heart and realistic uh, relationship. Mm. Now, I still hold him, and he passed away a few years ago, but I still hold him in the highest esteem, you know, and I certainly projected all kinds of miracles and things on him. And I saw that he, had, he was also a human being, and I realized in my, for me, Prashant, I had to be able to hold that person as both the presence of the divine and as a fully human, as a total human being with all the foibles of a human being. Because what did that mean? That's a mirror for me. In other words, I am the same. Mm -hmm. I'm a foible. I'm a human, full on human being with all the foibles and I'm the presence of the divine here as Eric. Ah, Mm -hmm. so for me, it's a precious, intimate, personal relationship. And it is a, uh, it has a public dimension. I'm talking about it now, but it's primarily a, it's into its power and its value is in the heart to heart period for me. That's it. It's it's an intimate thing. Mm. Now, everybody in the world, uh, one of my colleagues at Harvard, school of government says everyone is screwed up about authority and i agree with them we all have problems with authority with our own authority we we don't claim our own true authority and we project it out there look at our current president you know it's we have enough examples all over the world of what happens what happens when we do not claim our own wholesome true authority which is to say our capacity to author 
forth um, our gift in a way that is in, uh, enriches and, in, and blesses the world. When we give that away and when we deny it, the for, we, we, we create all kinds of distorted authorities around us, mm. whether it's in the religious, spiritual, political, or certainly in the corporate sphere. You see it in spades, right? Yeah. So this is, people have the idea of authority mixed with the idea of guru. Mm -hmm. And no one's going to tell me what to do. You know, I'm an American. I get to choose my own path, yeah. my own awakening. Yeah. And the answer is you do. But the, the real deeper answer is this, the, the self that says I can do it on my own has, has, is not aware of, of the whole universe being, it's supporting it. And that's the self that we need to, uh, that's the self that can relate to a guru without losing its own um, authorship. I'll call it that. Authorship. I hope that, I hope that helps. That was, it was nice for me to hear the reminder of, you know, the, intimacy of that relationship and uh and now how that relationship if anything if anything i would say is about returning you to your own authority you know and that you know like i with my american conditioning inherited values and stories also came from a place where of false self-sufficiency you know and mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i pursued those symbolic fulfillments as the very essence of my life you know and yeah. Yeah. and then when that proved to be not as fruitful as i originally hoped when i set out on that course it was when i realized you know, there's a lot of the story I'm missing here, you know, which is what, Beautiful. Which, which is what opened the door for me to, to explore more deeply and, and take on a deep study and practice of, of global wisdom traditions myself, you know. Um, but I'm touched by your story because, I don't know, in just relating to you, Eric, I see what... Uh, you know, what happiness you have in your life, you know, it's, it's clear to me in how you carry yourself. And, and, um, and I like that. And I know that uh, you found a way of navigating the primacy of your own awakening and your own inner journey while using your self-expression in the world, while using your connection, while using your contribution in a virtuous cycle with that, you know, yeah. and, and I aspire to that as well, you know? And so, so I take everything you say as kind of an older brother speaking to me, you know? And, um, and, it's, and it's really helpful, everything you're sharing. Yeah. I appreciate that. And that's yeah. something Kriyananda once said to me, you know, because um, I, I grew up, I'm revealing more than I typically do, but I grew up without a father and I, you know, was, had an adopted father. So I had a lot of, you know, uh, father, karma let's call it that way and of course then i did project this onto my teacher and you know and there was one time you know i was now in my 40s or probably late 40s and he and i were having dinner and i i said you know you say this uh, sometimes you say my son to these people say it to me you never said it to me mm. and that was coming from a like that very vulnerable child place you know mm -hmm. and he looked at me he goes that's he goes, I always thought of you as my brother. And I'm saying that to you now. It's like that is a really important symbol in whether we're dealing with a teacher, whether even whether we're dealing with God, mm. that, that one of the deep teachings in this lineage is that God is not our father. Mm. God is our older brother. Mm. And, that there's a, and, that, and that is a symbol, a symbol of, stepping up to our own our responsibility to be the embodiment of that goodness. Wow. Yeah. And it's, uh, this world is a fascinating place. Huh? I mean, with how much room there is for diverse opinions, but it's like, yeah. I think it's, 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 
to me, for me personally, the way I relate to what you said is like, I feel, you know, my view is that God is attempting to realize his expression through us, you know, and for, Absolutely. for, and for some people that could be really sacrilegious and, and what I would say to them is I honor that you see it differently than me. Totally. You know? Totally. Yeah. That's a version of it too. That's a beautiful version of it. Yeah. yeah. There's, it, there's, a, there's a line in my favorite line. This is not a translation, but more of an, uh, I'd say, a version of a line from the Bhagavad Gita in the 18th chapter. So the Gita for people who, is this ongoing dialogue between the awakened one, the awakened state and the human state. Krishna, the awakened state, and Arjuna, the human state, and this dialogue through the 18 chapters. And, you know, at the end, they're reaching this full-on communion. And Krishna says, it's, uh, he says, show love to me and bear me in mind. Attune mm. to me, with me intertwine. Mm. I promise you, you will be illumined in me mm. because you are my own destiny. Mm. So this is the, what you were saying is when we, when we, yes, by communing with this essential goodness, there's a sense of losing the boundaries of, uh, of our protected self. Mm. But that awakening is not the um, destruction of your uniqueness. Mm. It is in fact the uh, creating the possibility for that goodness now that goodness has a destiny, which is to show up as Prashant. That it, it's a unique expression mm. of that goodness in time and space, you know. Yeah. And it's almost like we move from the, the advice of be yourself, which leads us to a place of almost a kind of pseudo individuality. You know, it's like we're almost just different expressions of the collective till we embrace that process of individuation. And what you just quoted from the Gita, the Gita is a great influence in my life and, uh, and, and the epic, the Mahabharata in which it's contained. Mm -hmm. I'm currently watching a series from India right now that's 266 episodes long as well. Yeah. I complain to my wife sometimes because it's a little untrue to the version that I, I read and that I enjoyed sometimes. But, but it's all to say... Um, that intertwining, you know, and, yeah. that, and, and how amazing it might be if we really embrace, you know, seekers and non-seekers alike, that our greatness is much beyond what we typically fathom ourselves to be, you know, yeah. and that, that yeah. it could be so great that it's the essence of beauty itself, you know. I love that. Mm. Thank you. <laughs> Eric, well, I, I feel like we're, we're coming towards a, a close with this conversation. I'd love if mm. you just shared maybe another anecdote or another tip where when it comes to, you know, the challenges that show up when people... Mm are tuning in to their dharma, tuning into their purpose, and they're breaking away from old conditioning, and it's not easy. Yeah. What, what do you okay. offer to that person? I'll offer two things. Mm -hmm. One is something that a, a colleague of mine, a consultant and an author said to me, said, there's no, there's no safe place to be courageous. Mm. <laughs> so that's, that's a good thing to bear. I bear that in mind. In other words, if you're entering into the, if you're entering into the awakening territory, if you're entering into the leadership territory, if you will, in other words, leading yourself towards a deeper contribution, a more authentic presence, if you're moving in that direction um, and feeling some anxiety, you're probably heading in the right direction. You know, if we're waiting for that, so waiting for conditions back to that, it's true that when conditions are right, the opening happens automatically. But if we're waiting for conditions, mm. 
to make it safe, perfect. And that's a very long wait because it takes, it's very random. It's not random, but it takes a long time for the conditions to get right. Mm. Now, so cultivate the conditions. In other words, cult, and that's the second thing. Cultivate your capacity to do two things, to rest in openness. And the second is to meet whatever arises, particularly the uh, unacceptable emotions, to meet them with what I call loving awareness, which is to say, like you would meet a child with loving awareness, or you would meet a friend or a partner or a pet with loving awareness. You don't try to change them. <laughs> you just meet them, okay? <laughs> and so those two, building up the capacity to be, just to be open, to be in a state of open stillness, one, and that goes hand in glove with meeting whatever arises with loving awareness. And expect the anxiety to be there. It's not a, not a mistake. It's not a sign that you're on the wrong path. Mm. You, don't have to, you don't have to go looking for the anxiety. It'll arise on its own. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Pursue the dream and meet, mm. the, meet what arises with loving awareness. Wow. So I, I love both parts of that answer, but especially the first part, there's... You know, there's no safe place for courageousness. Uh, I don't know if I got that exactly right, but yeah. But it's wow! How often we're hoping that courage won't be necessary. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's good. That's the hope. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, and then you meet, you meet that hope with loving awareness and take the next step. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, that's so funny just to even say out loud because it's so true and be like, maybe one day I'll be so good that it'll be so natural and it'll be so easy, you know, but I think it's going to require a little bit of effort up front and a little bit of willingness to face the fear. Yeah, good, know? willingness, beautiful willingness, yeah. Yeah, and uh, so that, that lands very well for me, Eric, and this whole conversation, what a, what a pleasant reflection, and thank you so much for sharing yourself generously and your insights and the work you're doing with the world. There's a lot of people you've touched, and I think uh, everybody who listens to this podcast will see instantly why it is that people have been receptive to your presence. Um, that's, that's definitely the truth for me. And, uh, and so to, to all the guests listening, um, this has been another episode of the True Change Podcast with Prashanka Well, my, uh, my esteemed guest here today, Eric Klein. And you can find his work once again at wisdomheart.com. You can find his books on Amazon and, uh, and be happy to, to make his acquaintance. All the best to everybody out there listening in podcast land. Namaste. Namaste, Eric. Namaste.